Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. friends, future friends, haters, and ex-lovers, welcome back to another episode of Crimes of the Heart. I'm your host, Rory Uphold, and today we have a truly special episode. It's one of my favorites, I think because it's so vulnerable. I hate to do this, but I am going to place a trigger warning because this episode does touch on a couple of sensitive subjects, one being the gray area of consent, and two being suicidal ideation. I think you're going to love this episode because my guest is honest and raw and so, so forthcoming about his feelings and his journey, but I don't want to catch anyone off guard, so you have been warned. With that out of the way, please take a second and just give this show five stars on whatever platform you happen to be listening to it on. I would love that. I would truly appreciate it. And if you are part of the mailing list, you know that you got to watch last week's episode. That's right. I sent out a link so that people could watch the podcast. And if that is something that you actually want to be able to do, then I highly, highly, highly suggest signing up for the mailing list at www.crimesoftheheartpod.com or at the link below in the show notes. All right, without further ado, today's guest is a cult favorite for a very good reason. He is an in insanely talented singer-songwriter from Britain who often writes about love. I am talking about none other than Jack Garrett. Welcome to Crimes of the Heart. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> this is a long time coming. Yes. If yes. you lived a little closer, we would yeah. have done this sooner. Well, we wanted to do it. Yeah. And I live far away and we didn't want to do it over the no, internet. No, not if you're going to be in person. I have full like uh, lockdown anxiety with uh, Zoom oh, yeah. things now. Yeah. Because of the amount of shows I oh. did. Yeah. Wait, so then before we jump into this, do you ever do like a pre-FaceTime date? No. Oh my God. Wait, as in like, as in like romantic date? Yeah. No. What? No, never. You don't pre-screen people? Okay, and immediately we're jumping into it. <laughs> as is the privilege of a man, I don't I need to as much. Oh. Like I don't. Is this is something yeah. genuinely? This is something I'm finding out is like I'm oh, yeah. kind okay. of newly, properly single, talking to a lot of my friends, a lot of my girlfriends about kind of the dating world that they've been yeah. in and the fucking the parallels, the, the difference, the differences, because yeah. it's two lines traveling in the same direction, but one of them is just so vastly different. Yeah, yeah, than, yeah. Than the one that I've been on. Yeah, no, I, I, the only screening I've ever had to do is if I think someone might be like a, a catfish. Or, no, people think I am, which I'm like, honey, if you're gonna like get catfished by someone, get catfished by someone who isn't pretending to be Jack Garrett. You know what I mean? Like have a bit like, if you're gonna get catfished, get catfished by someone pretending to be someone worth being catfished by. But no, I've had people- That's hilarious I've, and also you're being very mean to yourself. No, 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 no. I, <laughs> we've met once and already I'm like, you're, you're like fuck yourself. But no, I've had people on dating apps before who have recognized me. I usually hide my face because I'm like- I do that too. It's easier and it's fine and I'm happy to do it because the way that I put it, when people ask me if they match with me and they'll go like, so why do you hide your face what's your job and i always say my line is i'm a musician and i mean a lot to a very small amount of people and that's it and it's the very small amount of people if one of them saw me and i've had it where someone's matched with me and been and been like you're joking you're lying Mm -hmm. send me a picture Mm -hmm. of you holding your brit and i'm like no yeah i don't care enough yeah first of all it's it's currently being used as a door opener like i'm not gonna (laughs) like (laughs) yeah With You're a like, newspaper in today's day. But I could day. do the newspaper, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So no FaceTime pre-screen. I no, do that so to do like do that? vibe check to make sure they like look like their photos, vibe check. Interesting. And yeah, do get you. like a kind of a read on chemistry. And then also I have um, 
I've weeded out some people. Yeah. Like on the scary tip, and for sure. And that's fair. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense yeah. to do that. So for me, I feel like I like that. And then there's just been like, there's it gets tricky with phone numbers and stuff. Like I use apps so people don't even get, like I really run people through stages yeah. in terms of uh, my privacy. Mm-hmm. We're not using my real name. We're not using photos with my face. We're not using photos that are on the internet so nobody can reverse image search them. Then we're not using our real number. Wow. We're using wow. an app. Yeah, Look, duh. part of that is me being just kind of overly sensitive or whatever. I do have a stalker. We don't have to go into that. I don't cute. want to go into that. I know, it's so cute. But like, and guys have been creepy. But then also yeah. I feel like I have a sex podcast and a dating podcast yeah. and guys would find me online and yeah. then DM me and whatever. And I'm like, this just feels weird and I don't love it. It's so it's so related as well to just like the, the plight of modern dating anyway of trying to do it on social. But like Instagram's a dating app. Let's not pretend it isn't. It's fully a dating app. And uh, also if you're not using it as a dating app, honey. Uh, do you want to know what I was doing on the way here? Yeah. <laughs> swipe, swipe, swipe. Fully using it as a dating app. I was actually, I was talking to someone about this last night of just like the freak out but well, not the freak out that's the wrong way to put it the, the just like the the accessibility of a version of you that isn't real as a pre-screener like the first place that i would go if i was going to look at like i'll do that i'll find i'll try yeah. and find someone obviously on you're going to try and find them on instagram Hadoido. yes but then it's like i know this all too well you'll know this all too well when you are in like a public space it's so and and, and even when you're not in a public space is, is my point it's yeah. universal we're all curating you, it oh my god none of us are who we are on that app Mm-mm. none of us none of us at all the point is to not be like the version of me that's on Instagram is a is not carefully curated but it is definitely me and my therapist figuring out a healthy version of me to present to the public mm. in the same sense that that's who I am when I'm on stage it's mm-hmm. the reason why I like I won't date fans and be careful about that because no matter what there's always an inherent power balance imbalance but also they like me for something I do not someone I am whoa right yeah yeah but that's also I think fame no fame that is the problem for a lot of people yeah right yeah like that's the problem for exactly the rich man dynamic uh-huh. or whatever like or the hot girl mm-hmm. or just like these ideas of the high value mm. that's that whole new trend mm. of like assigning people value like high value women high Holy. value men whatever yeah. but all of that is what you're talking about, which is like fake or constructed. Yeah, constructed. Which Const- actually is a really good lead-in to today's episode. I've done this before. <laughs> I'm- now that we talk about it, Yay. because that is what I wanted you to yeah. come on here to talk yeah. about is yeah. construction of masculinity and yeah. how that both helps and hurts men. And yeah. um, today's story, I think, I don't know. I've I've had it for over a year. Yeah. Well, you told me when you said you wanted me on the show. That yeah. You had, you had one in mind. And I've saved it for the right person. And I think you're the right person. And <laughs> this will be wild if we find so out you're much. not. <laughs> I'm going to fuck it up so much. I'm going to purposely go out of my way to derail Major. this entire episode. And it comes from a guy named Hale. And he was so brave. He used his real name. Is this yeah. who he really is? Okay. It's a very personal story. And um, I'm so excited that you're here to listen to it. I can't wait to hear it. Should we do it? Yeah. Okay. Growing up, the only sex stories I ever heard were the very successful, very outlandish ones. I never heard about like, oh yeah, we tried to have sex and I couldn't get up. Oh yeah, we tried to have sex, but you know, she was just not into it and we stopped. Those were never the stories that got told because those are not exciting. Those are not fun. Those are not braggable. This is Hale. Our story takes place in California, a state that famously placed an indefinite moratorium on capital punishment in 2019. And today, we are going to explore another kind of crime that should also be considered for a moratorium. It's the kind of crime that really isn't even a crime. We've just been told it's a crime. Growing up, I was very awkward. I had feet in multiple worlds. I was a nerd. I was a Renfair kid. I also played sports. Never really fit into any of those groups, which made dating and interacting with the opposite sex much more difficult than it should have been. It's spring in 2002, and Hale is a junior in high school. The Renaissance Fair has started up in Irwindale, East Los Angeles, which means that Hale is commuting an hour and a half one way from his home at the beach. 
He's done this for several years in a row, but this year is going to be different because this is the year that Hale asks Jennifer out. I met Jennifer at the Renaissance Fair. We were both working there. We'd known each other for a couple of years, been friends, decided to take a little bit further. After weeks of flirting, Hale asks Jennifer to be his girlfriend, and she says yes. And we started dating. And I had started going out there on the weekends and staying at her house under the guise of needing a place to stay for the weekend. Due to Hale's commute, Jennifer's mother lets him crash at their place on the weekends. She liked me. She thought I was a good kid, which, I mean, for the most part, I was. And I think she didn't think her daughter was having sex. And Jennifer's mother was right. Both of us were virgins. And when they started messing around, there was plenty of touching, feeling, hand stuff, making out. <laughs> dry humping till we were, you know, raw. But they lacked communication, maturity, and basic skin-to-skin -skin contact. For example, Jennifer would always wear like bike shorts to bed with like a sports bra type thing. And I would always wear gym shorts and a t-shirt. So basically I had fingered her through the bike shorts. So not really. I had gotten under the sports bra. So that was a win. And then she had jerked me off through the basketball shorts. And after a few weeks, Hale was in love. I mean, she was my first girlfriend. Of course I was in love with her. It had been one of the best months of his life, and Hale was ready for a lifetime of this. So he figured, I have a girlfriend now, so I should marry her, but I can't get engaged yet because I'm only 17, so that's ridiculous. I uh, so we'll give her a promise ring, that way I'm promising to get married to her eventually, you know, as one does. There's only one month left before the Ren Fair ends, so Hale decides to surprise Jennifer with a promise ring. I bought it off eBay for about 10 bucks. He gives it to her at the fair. Because that seemed like a very apropos thing. We didn't get down on a knee, but it definitely did take us away from everyone else and very quietly brought it out and be like, I love you and I know I want to marry you and I want you to have this as a promise that I will marry you. Jennifer was ecstatic. She accepted the ring and... She said, absolutely, let's do this. So yeah, we were, we were both on board the crazy train. It was a magical weekend. The following week... Hale is back at home and at school, and both he and Jennifer are riding high on the intoxication of puppy love. We had been texting throughout the week, and uh, we decided that Friday night, when I came over, we were gonna have sex. I think we actually used the phrase, do you wanna do it? Like, not even, do you wanna have sex? Should we go fuck? Looking back, it was probably a total of four texts discussing it. Hale and Jennifer had barely seen each other naked. We had showered before once. So we had seen each other naked and like brushed past each other, but that's about it. They'd never had oral sex, they'd barely had skin on skin contact, and they'd never had an open conversation about any of these things. But despite zero planning, zero communication, Hale and Jennifer decide to have sex. That week, I very embarrassedly went to grocery store and bought a box of condoms. Hale had only ever put on one condom as a dare, before he found himself buying a box at his local grocery store. Finally, it's Friday night. Jennifer is in her usual bike shorts and sports bra, and Hale is in his basketball shorts and t-shirt. And then that night, we were doing our usual hand stuff into dry humping, and she said, let's do it. Hale is thrilled. He's feeling great. I'm at full staff. I'm feeling very confident. Things are going to go well, but Jesus. <laughs> that, we thought that was a perfectly normal progression. Dry humping to sex. I mean, thank God we actually thought to get a condom. But they did. Hale needs to get a condom and also undress, so. When I went to roll over to get the condom, take my clothes off, that's when she stripped herself. And again, not even like involving removal of clothing into the foreplay of it at all. Just the hurried like ripping off of my own clothes and trying to get a condom on before I lose my erection. He strips off his clothes, then grabs the box of condoms. I then proceed to get the cellophane off the box, proceed to open the box, proceed to take one condom out. Then I proceed to try to open said condom, all of which I'm doing with this giant clock ticking away in my head because things are starting to go south. Hale has started to lose his erection. 
the adrenaline, the anticipation, the fear, all of that swirling around definitely didn't help anything. But I think the main driving factor was the time. The time it took Hale to disrobe and unwrap a condom was long enough for him to start to go soft. And for someone who had only jerked off before, this was like a new experience. Maintaining an erection with little stimuli was not a thing I had ever done because there was no need if I'm jerking off in my bedroom. But... Hale knew enough to know that his erection was deflating faster than Army Hammer's career. His heart starts racing. I'm in absolutely full panic mode. As soon as I knew that I was not fully hard, I'm like, fuck. All right, I gotta rush this. Hale attempts to put the condom on, but it's backwards. He fumbles. He puts it on again. I'm already starting to get flimsy and just thinking of every possible sexy thing I could, every frame of porn I'd ever seen at that point, anything. Meanwhile, Jennifer is just lying on the bed, hands at her side, waiting. And with every second that passes, Hale is getting softer and softer. I was really hoping that I was still hard enough to get inside because it was just getting worse. Like it was just getting further and further from ever becoming a possibility. Finally, Hale gets the condom on and gets on top of Jennifer. He tries to get inside of her, but it's like- Pushing rope. There's some stiffness there, but it just, no, <laughs> no. And then like, I'm trying to like two-hand it to try to like, come on, just inside, just get inside. It's not happening. The voices screaming in his head are getting louder and louder. Like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Type voices in my head. He's trying his best. Well, Jennifer is just staring at him, waiting for him to make it happen, and... After about 30 seconds, my brain finally decided that I was done, so all the blood left that area. Mortified, Hale mumbles to Jennifer. I just, I don't think this is gonna happen. He rolls off of her. Not really sure what to say, so in my 17-year-old mind, I said nothing, thinking that was the best course of action. Then he... Awkwardly pulled off the condom and kind of put it on the nightstand. Hale wishes he could disappear. I'm feeling embarrassed. That's probably the biggest one. It's just embarrassment. I was like, I should be able to do this. I'm a guy. I'm going to be having sex. This is what everything has been leading up to. This is my moment. Why can I not do this? He lays there for a second, then tries to cuddle up to Jennifer at which point she just rolled away from me. And after about 30 seconds, I could hear her start to sob. So that's when I knew she had really gone poorly. Hale freezes. He doesn't know what to do. It was definitely a dagger to my heart and my psyche and everything. I'm like, oh God, this is bad. This is bad. That's when the spiraling really took off. Like this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. This is awful. So he waits silently terrified of what might happen next. And... After another couple of minutes of her sobbing and me being absolutely petrified and having literally no idea what to do, because again, communication not going to happen, she starts to roll back over. I'm like, okay, this is good. But instead of a conversation or a hug or anything that could have brought them closer together... What she does is she places the promise ring I had given her a couple weeks prior into my hand and then rolls back over. And I was absolutely speechless. I had no way of even comprehending what was actually happening in that moment. Hale starts to cry. He lays in bed, suffering through his first panic attack, before putting on his clothes and eventually falling asleep. The next morning, the two don't speak. They sit through a silent car ride to the Ren Fair, and when they arrive at the grounds, Jennifer tells Hale that... She just doesn't see this working out if I'm not attracted to her. So I very awkwardly tried to stumble through explaining that I am attracted to her, and she just shuts that down and says, clearly you're not, and I don't want to talk about this anymore. In Jennifer's mind, Hale's inability to hold his erection had everything to do with him not being attracted to her, and not the laundry list of other reasons that had actually been a factor. Hale wanted to tell her the truth, but he didn't have the words or the confidence at that time to express himself. Instead, he held on to the shame and rejection of this moment for years to come. A few weeks later, the fair ends and Hale and Jennifer never speak again. The good part is we really only knew each other at the Renaissance Fair, so there wasn't a lot of interaction afterwards that had to be awkward. The downside to that is for the next, oh, 20 years, I've now had issues with all sorts of fun erectile dysfunction things. Though Jennifer exited his life, the anxiety around sex and performing 
stuck with Hale for years. A 17-year-old guy can't get it up? Come on, what's wrong with you? And that's exactly what I carried with me for years. The next time Hale is about to have sex, he's in a park fooling around with a girl when... She just hands me a condom and she just starts pulling her pants down. And so I'm panicking again, right back to that moment, hurriedly trying to get this condom on. And again, exact same result. Except that this time... She then told the rest of the friend group that I couldn't get it up. And that was just icing on the cake. He buries his feelings of embarrassment and unworthiness and cloaks them in silence. I don't think I told anyone about this for at least six or seven years. And at that point, it was still, you know, kind of mentioning it, but not really discussing it because it's embarrassing. That's never something a guy wants to talk about is when they failed. Until one day, Hale realizes it's time to let go. He starts going to therapy to get better at communicating, and he starts talking about his performance anxieties. My psychiatrist prescribed to me uh, Viagra, because that way it's not in my head anymore. Physically, things are going to work, whether I'm in my head or not. And after a few successful experiences, Hale credits medication with helping him retrain his thinking around sex. It's like the slightest thing happened, my mind didn't immediately go to, well, I'm going to lose my erection. So it took a lot of the issue out of that because physically it worked. And over time, this combo of therapy, medicine, and letting go of the stigma around sexual dysfunction helped get Hale to where he's at today. Building up that confidence in myself and physically in myself, that was huge. So huge that Hale wanted to share his own story in the hopes that maybe it could help someone else. He might not be able to change the past. He might not be able to tell Jennifer that he wishes he had been a better communicator or that they had jumped into sex too fast. But he might be able to help someone listening to this podcast. It is something that's happened to probably 99.9% of people on both sides. And whether it's because of alcohol, whether it's because of nerves, whether it's because of anything, sometimes it just doesn't work. And while that might not make for a braggable story, it is normal and certainly not a crime. So I ask you, dear listeners, to consider putting an indefinite moratorium on the crime of sexual dysfunction. Um, It's so funny because I've since interviewed so many people yeah. and there's a sex therapist named Ian Kerner who likes to call it sexual unpredictability. Yeah. Because even the word dysfunction makes me uncomfortable now. And also like impotence or... Or all of it, or, yeah. All of, all of those words that are too clinical that are also like... What do you call the it? The term. Yeah, what do you call, you call it? Set? Impredictability. Impredictability, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even then I challenged that because it is predictable. Because mm. the, the well, like with it, him, it was predictable. But so this is but this is the thing that like immediately reminds me of. So I, I funnily enough, really relate to that in a very close and personal way. Mm. I had my relationship with sex because of the way in which, and I want to be really careful about the wording, because of the way in which my virginity was taken, Mm -hmm. I had for about maybe 15 years, Mm. a relationship with uh, with sex that was anxiety and stress, right? Yeah. So to give context to that, I've never really spoken about this before. I've also never really had the opportunity to. I, and again, I have to be so careful about the wording because it's appropriate to be careful about the wording yeah. when talking about stuff like this. For sure. I lost my virginity when I was 14. Yeah, that's young. That's young. I was a child to a girl that was 16 and a girl who had, whether she knew it or not, which she actually, you know what? She didn't know it. Neither sure. did I. Had kind of... Again, I want to be really careful about the wording, but there was maybe an element of grooming happening from around when I was 12. I was like young, talented, yep. cool kid. I, not really, but like, and I took a real affection to her. She's a couple of years older than me. First love of my life. It's why I say like took virginity rather than like, it's hard because you can, I could only consent as much as I could at the age of 14. It's a such a, man, I recently wrote about this and, um, It'll eventually come out, uh-huh. but I was groomed by someone. Yeah, right. And I did not know it no. till I was thirty. Jesus. Like I, my experience, Ugh. and the thing is, is I still don't. I don't 
I don't say I was raped because yeah. I consented. Yeah. So there's, it's very gray and it's very complicated. And yeah. I'm not comparing what happened to me to what happened to you. It's just all of it is so different and nuanced. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, but I'm saying that because I understand what it's like to have a 360 view, like the Rashomon style experience of your life, mm -hmm. and to go, oh, from this angle, it's actually really, really bad. Mm -hmm. And from this angle, I was present and yeah. I wanted it and I said it and yeah. I did it. Oh, and then from this angle, it actually looks like this. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think not every, ex some experiences are black and white, mm -hmm. right? This was, I didn't want this and I did this. Yeah. Or I was forced or I was there and this yeah. was great. Sure. But it sounds to me like your virginity story was very layered and nuanced and whether or not you knew it at the time, it affected you in a way that was going to follow you for years and years and, and years. It, it did, it followed me for like 15 years throughout all of my sexual relationships wow. from about the age of, yeah, from 14 through to the end of my marriage. One of my 32 now, that was when I was 28, 29. So I've really only had a more confident, self-loving relationship with m not only my body. But sex. But sex. Yeah. For about three years. That's And I'm 32. Wild. And, a, and and the point of this, and a man. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's so funny, the things that he was saying about, like, you're a 17-year-old. Mm -hmm. You should be able to do you this. Should be, like, you, you should be able to get your dick up. You yeah. should be able to do it. God, fuck, I've been there. Mm. I've been in that moment when it's just, when your body is failing you. So have I. Yeah. But that's the thing is it's so it's so much more common. But this is but the thing that I find. Yeah, because you can't see it when it's failing me. No, unless because also as well, if you're that young, there is no communication. No happening. communication. There is no communication happening. Like so, there's no way in which she in that moment has the language to be able to support him through that because she's in her own narrative. She's existing in her and own world. By and the she way, turns I totally understand. Like I I hear it as an adult and go, that's so crazy. But yeah. like the idea of oh he couldn't get it up, so Therefore he's not that attracted to me. I've literally had that happen to me before, and it's not even that I couldn't get it up. This is the thing. This is the thing that happened to me. So I'm. I'm relatively virile in the sense that the blood in my body knows how to get to my penis. <laughs> and, and I'm lucky for that, that the stress that I have sure. doesn't get in the way right. of that. What my stress does is it stops me from being able to come, stops yeah. me from being able to achieve an oh, orgasm. I've, I've yeah. And because we've all been indoctrinated into the idea that sex ends when a man ejaculates, yep. when I don't, that's or when problem. I didn't, yep. that's a problem. Yeah. And it's, and again, the narrative that we've all just been- Created. In, not even created, but just- Bought into. Arrived into, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Is that with some of the women in my past who I've then had sex with, and I haven't come- You're not that into and, me. And I've had to go, hey, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to. Sometimes it's met with an air of, well, then you're not attracted to me. And I'm Ugh. like, that's literally, and then it adds to the stress, which is the reason why I can't do it anyway. For sure. Digging, it's, digging, digging, it's, digging, digging. It's so wild. It's so and cyclical. I talk about it on here because like, I have gone through various periods where like, I have had libido issues. Yeah. One was like a more of a relational thing, I now know, and one was like a hormonal thing. Yeah. But even recently I like went through something and it's, I like to talk about it because I also, still have sex yeah, and I still date people yeah. and I still have relationships, whether or not I'm sharing them on the show. Yeah. But I will regularly just tell the person that I'm seeing like, hey, I'm actually like, I probably won't yeah. come. Or yeah. maybe I will, but it won't be normal. And it's funny because when I'm with- It won't with, be normal. Well, I, yeah, I bring no, that I up because mean, like, like, there's this guy that I'm seeing who was like, oh yeah, it. It's like definitely different. Like your body's just different right now. And yeah. it's like, he knows my body well enough to know. Yeah. That, and I'm like, listen, I was there. I was present. I had a great fucking time. Uh -huh. Like this was a five out of five experience for me just because my body's not reacting the way that a normal five out of five experience would be right. doesn't mean that it wasn't great and what's so then what this leads to though is also what he was referencing hail was it yeah, yeah. Hale. what hail was referencing is the idea of like okay so what's a normal five out of five look like mm. when you haven't ever had sex well it looks like oh my god it porn. looks like the porn yeah that you've watched <laughs> right it's porn. And if there's anything that we know about sex it's Porn isn't normal. Not, it's a performance. It's a performance piece. People are literally showing up to work, yeah. clocking in, yep. getting paid. Yeah. It's Cetaphil. Yeah. So, it's soap. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that <laughs> little detail. <laughs> More like a, 
<laughs> yeah, just all of it is so fake. And you said something to me during it. Yeah. No mention of her arousal. Right. So when he was talking about, because again, and again, this isn't a, a dig on him or on her. No, it's they're purely, 17. It's because yeah. they're 17. Or he's, 16. Or, he's yeah. talking about how he's he's just thinking about his his dick, right? Because of course he is. Yeah. Because it's right there in front of him, failing him, failing him. Well, and also he's trying to be the best version of himself that he thinks he's supposed to be for her in exactly. order for her to, you know. For them to have this magical thing. Like, yeah. Because that's all part of it as well. I it's know. the romanticism of your first time and it's yeah. supposed to be special and blah, 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 blah. Bullshit. It's supposed to be weird and wonky and stupid and dumb and and uh, by the way, weird and wonky is special. Like, I think Well, yeah. Yeah. No, I was just... The, the I know. Reason, the I reason, know what you're saying. The reason why I jumped to that is because Weird and Wonky is my favorite sex. Okay. It's like... No, because it, it's, it's like... It's something that I've... So this, wait, I'm, I'm jumping between points now because I've, I've got lots to say. We'll get back to the mention of her arousal. I want to say this bit first. The thing that I've been telling myself, which is then something I've been saying to... I've had women who I've had sex with who have said, by the way... I find it really hard to come, like, via penetration. I find it really hard to come anyway, full stop, sure. with with people for the first time. Every single time I meet a woman like that, and that's what they say to me, I say, sex is supposed to be funny and, mm -hmm. and dumb and fun. Yeah. It's not about who comes. Just isn't. It's not a competition. It's literally not. Like, and that was, I was an ex-girlfriend of mine who who really helped me understand that, that, that sex is all of it. Mm. It's not just penetration. It's all of it. So the minute that you start looking at it's sex It's aftercare. It's aftercare. It's before care. It's, it's care. Before yeah. care. She hated, for example, the term foreplay. Mm. And I was like, interesting, why is that? And she called me in on it as being like, no, it's it's all sex. Mm -hmm. It's all sex. Yeah. And I loved that. And I kind of have brought it with me into the way in which I then try and enjoy myself sexually. Is that if it's all sex, then kind of... All of it matters, therefore none of it does. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if either one of us orgasm. I mean, it would be great if we both did, but if I'm sitting there with someone who's saying, I find it really hard to come, and I'm going, I find it really hard to come as well, but I'm rock hard and she's really wet, we're probably going to have sex and it's going to be fucking great. Yeah. We just might not come and that's fine. Right. It's also like, I think the idea yeah. of being like, well, why do we even want to do this? Yeah. Like, is it, because sometimes it really is strictly like, I need a chemical release. Uh -huh. Sometimes it's like, I really do want to feel this like very specific type of pleasure that I know I can recreate or whatever. Uh -huh. Sometimes it's like, actually, I just want to feel close to this person. Yep. Sometimes it's, I want to feel close to any person. Yep. You know, I mean, there's so many reasons why we get intimate with a person. Yeah. And what you're saying is like, it's very rarely about just one thing. It's never one thing. Yeah, exactly. And especially, and, and the hard thing is unlearning the idea that the one thing that matters is a man's erection and his orgasm. Well, yeah, that's, I mean. That's like, that's that's actively something you have to unlearn. And, fun, and, and funny that this conversation is then also kind of based around like masculinity, yeah. and performative masculinity. It's like having and maintaining an, an, an erection and being able to orgasm to me has nothing to do with masculinity whatsoever. Me either. Exactly. And yet when we're teenagers. It's everything. It's everything. It's everything. I also and think, I don't really know what it's like in America. I was going to say, I was going to say, I also think it's like that for a lot more people now, a lot longer, even mm -hmm. even older. Like mm -hmm. the way that I approach kind of love dating sex is not pretty typical. Mm -hmm. So there's also that. But I think, yeah, like what you are, I, what to me is so fascinating about it is the thing that he was aiming for mm -hmm. became the prison. Mm -hmm. Like the thing that we have idealized, mm -hmm. this performative masculinity this idea of you know men fuck yeah and men are tough yeah. and they provide and all of this becomes the thing that is also like holding men down yeah a hundred percent well it's even when i said to you when he said like in the text that they were sending each other he was uh, like even one of them was like should we, should we do it or like let's let's fuck yeah or something i and i said to you i went when you when you're 16 17 you don't know how to fuck yet yeah that's the point is you don't point. know how to uh, but again all the language around it is like it's because it's it's just all so performative and none of it's so rarely is it about what do you how do you keep yourself 
like present and it is hard because i do feel like that's a harder lesson for teenagers to learn regardless well, it's been a hard lesson for me to learn as a human and that's the thing is like as you get older it becomes not easier but you're the lessons are more frequent about right. like how to stay present how to keep your presence how to not be too anxious about the future or too anxious about yeah. the past. and like i remember all the sex i had in that period of time mm. from when i lost my virginity to mm -hmm. the end of my marriage and bearing in mind the end of my marriage i was in a, I won't give the details over just because it feels unfair. There wasn't a lot of sex happening for, sure. for quite a while. Sure. That was for a lot of reasons and that was nobody's fault, but it was a mixture of some things that was happening with my partner at the time and then also my stress and the way in which it triggered. Manifested or showed up. But, but yeah. particularly the way in which it triggered unhealed trauma from when I was 14. I can't remember the point I was making. I can't remember why I was saying that. Well, I do, <laughs> one of the things that I know about you and also your work and how you show up online or in public and something that I feel like relates to this story that I wanted to ask you is you're really critical of yourself. <laughs> how could you possibly tell that? Well, Other I, than it's been my entire brand for the last three years. But I wanted to know and maybe this dovetails <laughs> with what you're kind of talking about with the end of your marriage. How being critical of yourself has shown up and affected your romantic relationships. How long have you got? Um, <laughs> how was that, by the way? Honestly, it fucks. <laughs> you see the deflection mm -hmm. from the question? Um, my therapist will love that. I have had poor, I've had like poor self-image, poor self-worth for a lot of my, for a lot of my life, for like the majority of my life and suffered from depression and not known it, suffered from anxiety specifically and not known, and it. Not known it. And then only really started medicating it in, in the last three years. I've been on medication for the last three years. Mm -hmm. um, really started going to therapy properly in the last few years. And, and I'm doing active work to better my understanding of myself for the purpose of this and this actually ties in weirdly to what I'm what my next record is kind of going to be about I see the love that I have in my life as these three pillars right mm. that are these Venn it's a Venn diagram but I call it pillars the pillars are labeled as um, my self-love my platonic love and my romantic love and the way that I envision it is should they all are strong when they all are strong should any one of them falter it means the other two suffer as well so when my love for my friends, if, if I'm not nurturing that enough, it disrupts the way in which I love myself. It disrupts the way in which it's I like love myself. It's like a three-legged stool. Literally. The way, if I'm not loving my romantic partner in the right way, it ends up putting tension on my friendships. It puts tension on myself. If I don't love myself, you're fucked. I'm failing my friends. I'm failing my romantic partners. Yeah. My, my family is also in the friendship group. There's like a platonic love. So the way in which I am critical of myself has directly impacted the way that I have tried to maintain monogamous relationships and the way in which it's it's been, the way in which it's read itself throughout my life, came to realize this recently, is I have severe what's attachment, anxious attachment oh. style. And it manifests itself in then meaning I become a serial monogamist. You jump in too quick. I jump in way too quick and I stay. Mm. I jump in quick and I stay. You double down. Yeah. To prove to yourself. Uh, well, I'm terrified of being alone. Mm. Terrified of being alone because when I'm alone, then I have to be with the person I know I don't love, which is myself. Yeah. So I'd rather fill that void with the love of someone else who loves me, even if I know it's not right. Even if it's less than what you deserve, even or even if it's, if it's toxic, even if it yeah. makes me toxic. And like, I will stay there because at least I'm companioned. At least I'm there, I'm sharing, because I love to love and I love to love loudly. Mm. I love it. And to be honest, actually, with all the with all the shit I know I've done or the shit I know I've been through over the last few years, the thing that has never gone away is the fact that I love, I love to be open and I love to f fucking love. What I'm learning to do at the moment though, and this is why I'm trying to be single, failing. God, I wish, I wish so badly that I could not relate to what you're talking <laughs> right, about. Exactly. But this is the thing is I, I, there are more people out there, but also specifically more men out there that are willing to admit that this is normal a life that they live. This them. is a normal, yeah, yeah. right? To be an emotional man. I am an emotional man. I am straight. I am, but I I love uh, femme and I love my mask self. I wear nail polish and I fucking work out because I want to feel big. Like I, I have only really come to adore that in me mm. in the last three years since I've not been so focused on trying to keep a relationship alive. Because when I get into that relationship, part of the reason why I want to be in it is because I just want to lose the sense of self. 
because my sense of self is I don't like myself that much. Yeah. Like I had a I've only ever really once or twice in my life like had suicidal thoughts and they came from a place of absolute self hatred. I remember I was in, obviously, like, trigger warning, suicide. I remember when I was in New York years ago, and I, I was with my ex-wife, and I was in this magical city at a magical time of year. It was, it was around Christmas, mm. and it was snowing, oh, and, and we got there. The we got there, and I was able to, like, make good on my fucking, like, blue tick I'd worked so hard for mm -hmm. over the years. And we got to go and see uh, the dress rehearsal of Saturday Night Live, the Christmas show, it was James Franco hosting, with um, Scissor was the musical guest. And it was, like, an absolute goal of mine was to watch Saturday Night Live at some point. Wow. Goal of mine is to get on it one day, 100%. Yeah. But, and we got to go and see that. And then one of the other days, I, I messaged randomly out into Twitter, which I will always call it forever. Yeah, it's um, Twitter. It's Twitter. Hey, I'm in New York. Can anyone get me in to see Hamilton? I was like, oh lol, this will be funny. This was literally like 2016, 2017. The, like the height of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And someone, a musical theater guy who followed me on Twitter, messaged someone else who was in Hamilton, who was like, hey. Let's get him to the show. Let's hit him up. <gasps> that night. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like dress circle right in the middle, front row. Just this like Absolutely kismet, amazing. magical, Just gorgeous. The life that everybody yeah. dreams of having. Yeah. And then after all of that, I remember going back to the Airbnb and I remember sitting down and I just bawled my eyes out because I was more depressed than I'd ever been. <sighs> and the thought in my head was, you're becoming a misery weight on everyone now. So you should probably end it. And then this little voice in the back of my head really quickly just went and came to the front and just went, but you won't because you're a coward. And it was in that moment I was like, I have no love for myself. I have none. The thought I have is it's better for everyone if I- I'm gone. If I'm gone. And then the other voice in my head- Was like, but was you like, won't even do yeah, it. Yeah, but you won't even do it because you're a fucking coward. And you know what? He was right, but I'm glad he was. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. You, whoever, yeah, yeah, the devil. I was. <laughs> I say that only just because it's like, that was, it, it, it did have a strain on, on my marriage, but it's it wasn't the reason. It's kind of unfair though. I'm just jumping in. No, please. It's unfair to think that that was gonna work. What do you mean? The the, the marriage. The marriage. Yeah. Like I'm listening to you yeah. talk about yeah. the way that you felt about yourself. I, I don't know how the fuck you did anything. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I mean, show up as an artist, but as a person, as a friend, as a whatever. Like if you don't have just bare minimum self-respect, which is not self-love, they're mm -hmm. different things. Mm -hmm. And then self-love. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how mm -hmm. people expect other people to be able to accept love, yeah. know even that this person is caring for you, yeah. much less be able to give it. And I I wasn't in a place where I could accept love. Yeah. And the love that I did accept, which was from my wife and from some of my friends, and to be honest, not really my family. I, I kind of, when I look back on it now, a lot of people tried to help me and I mm. wouldn't let them because my self-worth was low enough that I was like, well, I, I don't want to help myself, so I don't get why you would want to help me. But it is all, it's wrapped up in like spiral toxic, like masculine thinking mm. of, well, first of all, I can't ask for help. Yeah. Which is not true, but I convinced myself was. Of course. I convinced uh, myself So many true. of us do that. Yeah. And it is, it is... It is something I, I, I say a lot, representing what I represent, which mm -hmm. is which is men. I say it a lot, which is like, just ask for help if you need it, it's okay. Yes. It's more than okay. And check on your strong friends. Check on your strong friends. But this is the thing is, I, like check in on the men in your life. Check in on the men, If you yeah. have a man in your life that you love and you do, yeah, we, um, just check in. Yeah. Just say hi, how you doing? What's going on? Not because men never get asked how they feel. And that is a narrative that kind of exists within, I think, some of the like male community. Just because that could be the moment where whoever you're asking decides to go, you know what? I'm actually not okay. I'm not okay. Yeah. Like this has been happening. This has been weighing on my mind. Just small moments, the small wins in the day that you can, oh, but that's the thing, not even the bad stuff, just like celebrating with the men in your life about the things that they've done mm. and commiserating with the men in your life about the things that haven't gone quite as well as they may have hoped, allowing them to feel in a normal way, because not only are, not only do they expect within themselves to perform as men and to exist as men and like feel as men feel in certain ways, but there is also like a projected expectation on men to show emotion yeah. in X, Y, Z ways. For sure. And I truly think that one of the ways in which that can be combated and kind of diluted is just- Talking. It's normalizing it.
Yeah. It's just, it, it's not a big deal. None of it is. Yeah. Like that's the thing as well. That whole situation, hail situation, mm -hmm. that is not a big deal if you have two people in the room who are able to just support each other in a way that's like, hey, that was rough. Are you okay? Yeah. Just normalize yeah. it. Just it, it immediately. We're going to laugh about this in a month. Oh my God. We're going to laugh about it in an hour. Yeah. Are you kidding? Like, well, for 17. It might take a while. Yeah. But, 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 no, I get but you. yes. But this is the thing. It's like, so how do we educate our kids to be able to achieve that kind of language sooner? Yeah. Because fucking hell, life is. Brutal. Drama when Brutal. you're a child. Like that second one of him in the park. I know. There the is kids like, going and making fun of him. Children and, are criminals. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's, but so are adults. Oh God, no. Adults are, adults are actual criminals. You know, yeah. like it's, it's, we're, we're all like really mean to each other. And, and I think what's interesting to me about all of this is like, I've lived as a woman and I, we started this off with me talking about like the absolute batshit insane lengths I go mm -hmm. before I ever go on a date with someone yeah. to try and prevent me from being murdered or yep. whatever, yep. or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or worse expelled. And yet I also, my secret, like my secret that people don't know about is that I coach men and I have helped a lot of men through dating and yeah. through their breakups. Wow. And I guess now the world knows, but, uh, so I, <laughs> I know very is there a link that men can <laughs> just if you're a man click on <laughs> yeah, click here um so i actually know so intimately what you're talking about yeah. and it's funny because i get a lot of it i people ask me for advice all the time yeah sure and predominantly women listen to this show mm -hmm. but i know that the people that i have like drastically helped the most are men, are men. they have felt things so intensely and yeah. not been so lost and really not felt like there is a space or a community yeah. within their friend group or whatever yeah. where they can turn to and be like, I don't know how I'm going to put myself back together post this breakup. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm going to learn to love again. I don't know how I'm going to get through some of this stuff. I'm trying to think of the public examples of that in a male space. What I mean by that is like, do you think that the success rate that you're talking about there or, mm -hmm. or success rate that you're talking about there is is because the men's issues are potentially I'm not trying to get to a point here I'm genuinely just interested like, I think, do think women share a lot more and I think it's there's a multi-billion dollar industry based on relationships this is kind of what I dating, feel like I'm getting at but yeah, it's all directed towards women, women. Yeah. which I think is very unfair because again mm. it's about women chasing men in, in some sort of way or yeah. performing in a way to attract the, the right sort Ugh, of man which yeah. I think again is wrong and toxic and it's all of these things dumb as fuck but it is women have buying power they've always had buying power mm. we've just been led to believe that we don't mm -hmm. um and so it does make sense that selling women on love or yeah. this version or relationships and dating yeah. they are the they're the target yeah and then men are the um like they're the goal mm -hmm. so women and and by the way i have a lot of listeners that do want to fall in love and are having a hard time meeting men and I'm not saying that that doesn't exist but I think the way that it is sold to us mm -hmm. is strategic and fucked up yeah and that men are not being sold the same thing yeah. at the same rate, at yeah. the same volume, yeah. which is both good and bad. Yeah. Because on the one hand, they're not being sold, but they also don't have all of these offshoots, these conversations, these memes, these accounts, yeah. these places online yeah, the spaces. where they can go kind of feel seen mm. or relate. I mean, I get sent maybe not a hundred. I get sent so many memes a day mm -hmm. by my friends, mm -hmm. by listeners of the show, mm -hmm. by strangers, by people who are like, she gonna fucking laugh at this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I do. Yeah. And it's, you know, funny dating stuff yeah, or sure. these, these things, but like that's community. Yeah. And I know that sounds stupid. No, it doesn't sound stupid at all. But then I also am like, oh, I'm not alone. I never feel alone. Mm. In you, feel, you mean in the sense of being a woman dating in the position that I'm, you're in, also as like unmarried. A, I don't have yeah. kids. Like, depending on if if I want to be like judgmental of myself, I could look at me and be like, what is wrong with this bitch? Like, like what's her baggage? How's she still single? Oh God, she's out here talking about <laughs> dating. Like, blah, 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 right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. that could be the criticism. Sure. I never feel like that because no. I never feel alone in my yeah. experience because there's so much content and so many people talking about it. Mm. 
There's and I think for men, there's a lot less. Yeah, there's nothing for you. There's no, you can't subscribe to that narrative because the narrative is being beaten every day by 100. something that's a lot more relatable. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's a really good point. I mean, like I, there, it's, it's, it's true. It's true and really sad. And I don't have any of the stats to back this up. And so I'm just going to, you know, surprise, surprise, a white man is about to <laughs> chat out of his ass. But Trigger warning. Yeah. Mansplaining. Yeah, mansplaining. <laughs> Let me tell you what it's like to be a single woman. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh but like men men suffer alone and sure. and i don't think we mean to and i think there's there's something in what i was saying earlier about the narrative that we are born into right because you you even mentioned there about the idea of like love sex relationships as a commodity being sold to women mm-hmm. uh here's the best way to get a man here's how you should know to leave a man like mm-hmm. uh, and also again heteronormative relationships of right? course yes which is what a lot of this is about because yeah. the industry hasn't been there for queer uh, relationships nope. until very recently yeah. and that's been an industry for decades mm-hmm. the industry of selling to like straight women the mm-hmm. idea of love being something you can cheat it's almost like you know how uh, so many men nowadays are going through the like um biohacking thing oh yeah feels like that now for men is what uh, like Cosmo was for women in the 80s and 90s. It's like a, a thing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's, I get that. it's a thing that's like both real and kind of not being sold yes, at a specific yes. demographic. Part of it is real and part of it is not. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of hard to blend where it's where helpful the, and where it, where it isn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that so entrepreneur hustle yeah, vibe, exactly. culture, all of it. Yeah. But like, I, it's, my point was that like men, men suffer alone because I feel like that's kind of the, that's the commodity industry that we've been born into. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to, like I've got a very small violin for the male plight like the patriarch is real and and it needs dismantling but at the same time male mental health is on a decline Mm. and we can't leave our others that actually yes that is a stat yeah yeah and like suicide rates in men especially in the UK higher than women higher than women higher than they've ever been getting worse getting younger and we can't we can't leave our brothers behind we Mm -hmm. can't um, also, we'll have no one to marry. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like kind of kidding, and I'm also kind of not. But also, <laughs> just bring it back. It's just you know? the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and like, um, what I don't have, and what I'm not going to pretend like I do have. Again, like, look at me being a white man, not having an answer for something. But I don't have the answer for that. No one does. But this is why the only thing I can suggest is just those small conversations. Yeah. Those small day-to-day moments where you can check in with someone that you love, because that's all it comes down to: someone that you love. But you do kind of have the answer because <laughs> you. <laughs> did you did make a change three years ago i mean yes it coincided with a divorce and Uh i don't know if that played into it but Mm -hmm. you have said it multiple times in different ways on this show like your life started in a different way three years ago especially even your relationship with your body you sex all of it yeah that's fair so to me i would say like my last question for you (laughs) what was the moment like how did you make the shift because you made a shift yeah. And maybe you didn't know that you did it, but for men, women, non-binary, anybody listening, there's somebody listening right now that's like, I don't love myself. I, I am unable to have the life that I want yeah. or the love that I want. Yeah. And I think the problem might be coming from inside the house. Okay. So I had really, I had awful anger issues when I was younger. And, Sick. Right? <laughs> um, never, never physical, never violent. Um, always performative. Anger is like I was always anger angry in front of people because I wanted. What do you mean to... anger is performative? Uh, anger is not a feeling; it's a reaction. Like you can't feel angry. You are angry about something, oh. right? Like I think anger needs like if a train falls, a train falls. If a tree falls in the mi- middle of a forest is it, and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? If anger isn't witnessed, is it? Is it there? Mm. At least that's my relationship with anger. Like I can feel frustrated and annoyed when I'm by myself, but when I'm angry. It's always a witness. There's always someone in the room. I'm always playing up to it a little bit. Got it. Um, or at least that's what I was doing. And I was in a really tumultuous, bad time in my career where things were going really well, but I was really depressed. I was traveling around the world, couldn't see my family. I didn't know what time of day it was. By the way, you want to know why I think things were like going bad? Yeah, go on. And I am making this up right now. I can't wait. Your career's up here uh-huh. and your self-love is up here. Uh-huh. So the whole time you're like, this is a lie. Yeah. This is fake. 
that I've said that to my management. I've said oh, like I've said oh, okay. I've said like none of this matters. I like, thought I was gonna like come in with a hot take. Uh, I'm like, honey, I've spoken to my therapist about it. <laughs> spoken to my last three therapists. But about I just it. think it's so it's so wild. Like yeah. it's not that it was. No, I don't. I don't feel like I. And I've said this uh, publicly. I think like the I got a lot of awards at the beginning of my career. I I genuinely and I don't say this for any other reason other than I believe it to be true. Don't deserve any of them. I don't understand why I have them. It doesn't make sense to me. Oh, I disagree with that. I, 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 yes, okay. I understand that you would. It doesn't mean I will understand it any day. They sit in the corner of my house as a, as a shadow more than anything else. And it fed into this anger of, well, I don't deserve any of this, but it's happening. Mm. And, I do, and I'm waking up every day feeling worse and more disassociated from the, the, this reality that's apparently in front of me. A reality which, by the way, is not real because it's based in the entertainment industry. Sure. I'm like yeah. doing performances in front of yeah, thousands yeah, yeah. of people walking off stage into a green room with no one because I do a show by myself. Mm-hmm. So if the show goes bad, I'm by myself. By yourself. If the show goes yeah. well, I'm by, by myself. Yourself. Like I wasn't in a good place and I was feeding myself with like low energy, small dick energy shit. And I, I was very, I was a very angry person. The first shift for me was when I was about 25 and I started therapy for the first time because I knew I was angry and I knew it was putting a strain on my marriage or my relationship but mostly I knew it was putting a strain on myself I knew I couldn't access joy in a way that I should be able to Mm. and anger was the present thing so I checked my anger and I asked it to sit down with me and I asked it what I what it needed and funnily enough it's my unhealed childhood trauma and Mm. like it's still there but now that I've I've kind of like massaged the anger first way I did this and it really works and I and I'm genuinely I really like it is I will say sorry immediately Mm. Right. It's a really it's really something that I learned helped me with resentment and anger down the line. If I am having a conversation with someone and I offend them in some kind of way and I see that I've done that, I will immediately just go, I'm sorry. I can see that I said something and it's offended you in this way. I did that. Not, I'm sorry you feel X, Y, Z. That's not an apology. It's it's not an apology. We need to clarify that. I'm sorry for, I'm sorry my behavior has made you feel Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Immediately it takes the sting out. It means that I invite you in with me to figure out how we get past the apology into some place of, okay. It's you and me together, not you and me apart. Exactly. Or versus. And a lot of the time my resentment was coming from me not apologizing soon enough or someone not apologizing soon enough. Oh, interesting. And that was a big, that was like the first shift that kind of helped me get into a space of like okay cool I don't have to be angry all the time I can choose to not be Mm. fucking hell try telling an angry person that and they'll punch you in the face rightfully so they're angry but like I was able to catch myself in a spot where I was like okay my anger is a reaction it's not a feeling I can deal with the 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 underlying issue I can go to therapy Mm -hmm. the next shift was okay the therapy is helping but I'm finding I'm pushing up against a depression and an anxiety that isn't really moving so then I started medication and I changed my therapist and I just took it a bit more seriously. Funnily enough, then I got divorced. And it That's not that it's not related, it's just a timeline. <laughs> sure. It makes a lot of sense though. Yeah. I mean I mean in terms of like frequency shifts, I guess, and, and like things moving and people becoming different people. Yeah. And like I but the conscious shift that I've made recently, and, and if there's three key ones, it's them. It's like me dealing with my anger first, then me dealing with my anxiety and depression. And now where I am now is me learning to love myself. Mm. Love Love myself in a way that I have witnessed people try to love me. Mm. My friends, my ex-girlfriends, my ex-wife, my family, the current people in my life who I know fancy me a little bit. Like the way in which I watch there be love, an abundance of love for me that I have for a long time in my life denied myself access to. All I have to do is open the door. It's all there on the other side. It's waiting for me. Opening the door can feel impossible. And there's no metaphor. There's no lock. There's no nothing. It is open. It's open. I just got to open it. I haven't opened it yet. I'm looking at the door and I can see everyone on the other side being like, it's great. Come when you're ready. So if I'm listening... And I'm like, what What does that look like? Does that look like, okay, so I, I talk about like self-confidence, self-love is about keeping promises to yourself. It's about like knowing that if I say, um, I'm going to drink this every single day, I will mm-hmm. drink it every single day. Mm-hmm. And then I know that I'm a trustworthy source. And then mm-hmm. it's the relationship that I build with myself. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so that's self-talk, obviously, uh-huh. which we can control. Like we can control um, how many negative things, the sarcasm, are we shit talkers? Are yeah. we, like yeah, everybody yeah, yeah, has yeah. different things, yeah. right? So we can control self-talk and, and, and that we can control again the the trustworthiness the relationship we have with ourselves like setting tasks 
that are achievable, then we'll go on to do to prove to ourselves that we are trustworthy. Are you doing any of those sort of things or does yours feel different? Mine feels different only in the sense that it's it's a similar lesson I'm trying to teach myself, but it's more like a, it's not a mantra. It's just something I remind myself because mm. I've like, I'm a controlling person in the sense that I, sorry, not in the sense that I like to control people. I like to control my environment. It's a direct source of my anxiety. Yeah. had a huge fear of flying for a long time because I'm not a pilot. Iconic. It, truly. The woman in my life who I am very much in love with mm-hmm. <laughs> and desperately would love to uh, spend a very long time with, but that's not happening. Mm-hmm. I keep coming back to this lesson that like, that she taught me. Mm. And she, it, it, not through her words, but just through our experience together. I am not in control of my feelings. I am only in control of my behavior. I am not in control of your feelings and I'm not in control of your behavior. No. All I can do is tell you what I'm feeling. Yeah. It's all I can do. Two things. Tell you how I'm feeling, control my behavior, change my behavior, do something with my behavior. Those are the only two things I am truly able to do anything about. Yeah. The hope is... Literally, I got a text at 11.10 last night. Yeah. From a man, of course. Of course, yeah. Uh, Rory, a question's about dating. And I was like, okay, yeah, hit me. Yeah. And uh, I said this, I ultimately boiled it down and I said, listen, you're not responsible for how she takes it. Uh -uh. All you can do is show up authentically and kind. Yes. And the way that she reacts is the way that she reacts. Yes. You're, you're just and not that's in control it. of it. You're just not in control of it. And that's that's with everybody. That's like yeah. it's simultaneously the most personal thing and not personal in any way yeah. at all. And the kindness comes hand in hand, I think, with honest and honest, transparent communication. Mm-hmm. I think Which you is could, ego. I think uh, I think like to me, yeah. honesty is so much easier when ego gets checked because when you are at least for me Explain that a little bit. I want to understand what you mean. For me, yeah. Um when I let go of the ego side of myself, which yeah. is none of this hurts me, oh, I'm better than this, he'll he'll yeah, regret yeah, this, yeah, or yeah, just yeah, any yeah. of it. I'm too cool for this. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. won't you won't hurt me. Just beneath me. Beneath me. Any of yeah, it. Yeah, any yeah. of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I got to let go of that, honesty became not only my superpower, mm-hmm. but it, it it's the thing that when I show up to a conversation and I'm like, listen, this is where I'm coming from, and I'm super hurt, and I am aware of it, and I really like you, and I know that this isn't going to work out, and yeah. so this. Whatever it is, if I'm the first, I have no problem being the first one to be like, I really want this to go somewhere. Are you feeling like you want this to go somewhere? As opposed to the time and energy and whatever to construct the thing to make it go that place. Yeah, I'm going to play the game and do the thing for long enough to make sure I'm not texting at a certain blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just like the that was like the unlock. But to me, I guess yeah, it's so it's honesty and ego go kind of hand in hand. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I think that's that's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you. I have only had my heart crushed oh, a million times. To, no, but I, also, but like, <laughs> but the thing I I keep going back to, and it's funny that like with um what the topic of conversation has been about that I'm about to use these genuinely oh. body body shaming terms. S B E. Yeah, it's or like SDE, SDE, SDE and BDE. Like being honest and upfront and just saying how you feel. That's big, big dick that energy. Big dick energy. Mm-hmm. That's big dick energy. Mm-hmm. Playing all dating games. Oh no, I'm not going to text them back till blah blah blah. Twenty, twenty, twenty. And again, not body shaming. No. I mean, we are a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, which is, <laughs> and again, it's like, it's, it's, it's fine to body shame a it's man. It's a metaphor. <laughs> no, uh, no, but it is. But like, it truly is just like, yeah. it's, it's because it's, there is nothing sexier because what it isn't is it's not confidence. It's rooted in self-love though. It's just self-love. It's just yeah. absolute transparent, communicative honesty. So it is weird. You, you, you are getting better at it. Yeah. Because I'm really, that work, is I'm rooted really working in, hard in self-love. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I am going to manifest something for you. Okay. Wait, I'm gonna, while you do this, I'm gonna hold my- Put your crystal out. I'm gonna hold my crystal. I hope that in the near future, you actually look at those awards and you get to a place where you realize that you did deserve them Mm -hmm. and that they aren't a shadow. Mm -hmm. Because on the one hand, I understand that awards are totally trivial. And uh, if you know anything about Hollywood, like a lot of them are rigged in, Mm -hmm. they're bought. Um, But your relationship with those awards to me feels very linked to your relationship with self-love mm. and i i hope that one day you are able to look at it and go you know what i get it okay that's good mm-hmm. yep 
I'll let that sit in the truth hole that it's like, currently filling, okay? So what's one thing in your self-love practice? It's a good question because it's genuinely becoming behavioral now. Genuinely living in a moment, like living in a present moment, just not thinking about like, I don't meditate, I find meditation really hard. My mind is is busy and I haven't done the practice to meditate. It's also like, it doesn't, yeah. But the closest I get to meditation is doing a show because mm. I'm on stage, I'm not thinking about the future, I'm not thinking about the past, I'm only thinking about the present moment only thinking about how to connect with my body, how to translate something. It's the closest I get to like meditation. You know, I feel that way about sex. It's interesting. Really? Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I think I've had that experience before as well. To me, I find, like not always, obviously, like sometimes you're not there, but like to me, um, sex and art are really linked. Wow. I love that. Jack Garrett, what is the best love or dating advice you've ever received? I don't know. I've received this from lots of people because it seems like a universal concept and it's what we've been talking about, is you know when you're not being honest. Mm. You know when you're not giving something truthfully or fully. If that feeling is there, probably not doing it, right? Get out. Yeah. Yeah, eject. Just be honest. Find your, like, pull yourself towards the things that make your honesty adored and celebrated. To me, I think that's, like, about relationships in that you know when it's not right. Yeah. I don't ever want to be scared to tell my girlfriend something. Well, yeah. I I mean, 100%. Yes. But even, like, we were texting last night, and I won't go too into it, but, like, about a a situationship, you knew. Yeah. From the get-go. That it was off. Yeah. We always know. Yeah, we always know. We just ignore. Yeah. And it's okay to try it out. Oh, uh, for sure. Like, Trial and error, baby. Yeah. Like, that's what <laughs> that's what life is about. Yeah. Like, we're gonna... Life is about messing up. Yeah. I have... The things that I know the most about, the things that I would say I'm an expert in, are brilliant. the things that I have failed at. Absolutely brilliant. The things and that I have struggled with the most. Uh, point, counterpoint, you're... And you're more likely to fail at the things you're taking risks doing. Yes. So it's like, there's no shame in love. That's one of my favorite quotes of all time. Yeah, that's lovely. But also, I love what you said about that because we all know when the honesty spot moves. Friend I saw earlier said this, um, clarity is care. I love that. So simple. Clarity is care. If someone's not being clear with you, they're not caring for you. Yeah. If you're not being clear with someone, you're not caring for them. That slaps. Clarity is care. That slaps. Ah, okay. If people want more of you, how do they find you? Uh, socials uh, at Jack Garrett, G-A-R-R-A-T-T. I swear to God, if you spell my name wrong. <laughs> I swear to God, if you spell my name wrong. I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> I almost said Jack Garrett with an A. With an A. With two A's. Two ways, two yeah. L's and two T's. Um, oh my God. Yeah, no, socials, Jack Garrett. I've got some music out. You can find it literally anywhere. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank this you was for having me. a blast. It, it, I feel like it was okay. It was okay? What? Okay, cool. Oh, wait, no, I hate myself. Sorry, did we not get to this bit? <laughs> Sorry, wait, I got, we need oh, to rewind God. and start Here the whole thing again. Here goes the next podcast yeah, about me hyping you up. I'm going to be like, ah, listen. No, that, now we're, we're here for another hour because it's now my podcast, which is please love me. Jesus Christ, please love me. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm Thanks excited for your show. Thank you. Oh, yeah, wait. I should, before people go, if you, oh. if you're listening to this, you either know Jack and you're a fan of Jack Cute. or you don't know Jack because you just listened to the show. Cute. And if you are in that second half and you have never seen him perform live, you gotta do that. Yeah, fair. When you I have- ha- You are other fucking worldly Thank on you. stage. It is almost freaky. Thank the you. amount of energy you manage to whip around you, your sheer ability. It's, it's- I have seen you absolutely destroy stages. Thank you. So people would be dumb to ever miss you live. It's because I bring a bunch of rhinos with me on stage. <laughs> and crystals. Crystal, rhinos, rhinos and crystals. That's the name of my next album. Yeah. How did you know? Oh my That's God, amazing. three-legged stool rhinos and crystals. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks again for listening. If you made it this far, I am assuming that you did, in fact, like this episode. So this is the part where I ask you to please follow the show, subscribe to it, rate it five stars, and or leave me a comment. Fun fact, if you're listening on Spotify right now, you can actually leave comments on specific episodes. Fun! That said, I appreciate you regardless, and I hope you have a great week. Thanks again for listening, and see you next Tuesday.